And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Well, we're going to look today about not worrying, and uh, particularly as it concerns money. How many of you have ever worried about money? Yeah, if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. I know. Economist John Galbraith, he observed, money is a singular thing. It ranks with love as man's greatest source of joy and with death as his greatest source of anxiety. Now, most of us are prone to worry about money. Uh, If we don't have enough, we worry about how we're going to get it. Uh, If we have plenty, we worry about if we really have enough and how we're going to hang on to what we have. Worry has been described as a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all thoughts are drained. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where something is so heavy on your mind, you really can't think about anything else. You can act like you are, but it all seems to be filtered through that that one channel of that worry, whatever it is. Um, Well, worries about money can easily become that kind of deep channel worry. Jesus wants his followers to be free from worries about money. He's just been speaking to the crowd about the dangers of greed and living for this world without a view uh, towards eternity. Now he's speaking to his disciples who are perhaps feeling that uh, a little anxious about whether they're going to have enough money to make ends meet, right? He said, follow me. Now he shows them that anxiety is opposed to trust in God who lovingly cares for his own. God will take care of you. We just heard it in song there. He also shows us that to go to the other extreme and pursue riches, that's really at odds with seeking God's kingdom. He's teaching us a couple things here that to solve worries about money, first we have to trust in God who cares for us. And then second, we have to seek his kingdom above our own needs. So those are the two things we're looking at. Now the world sings, don't worry, be happy. And it's, and it's it, you know, we, we like that song, but there's no such basis for that blind, uh, for, for that, for us to be able to sing that except blind optimism. But you know, as believers, we should be saying, don't worry, trust God. And that's not blind optimism because it's based solidly on the nature and the character of God and his many promises to us. So Jesus tells us, number one, to solve our worries about money, we've got to trust in the God who cares for us. Now, the King James Version translates Jesus' command in verse 22, take no thought. And some have mistakenly taken that to mean that we shouldn't devote any mental effort or time or energy into providing for our future needs. But the phrase, take no thought, it simply means don't worry. Don't be anxious. Take no thought about that. The Lord wasn't encouraging a lazy, who-cares attitude about money. In fact, Scripture enjoins us to pay attention to financial matters. Now, while God provides for the birds, He doesn't just plop those worms right in their mouths as they're sitting in the nest, does He? No, they have to exert some effort to obtain the worms that God has provided for them. So here Jesus is speaking against that inordinate, consuming, distracting worry. Now Jesus gives us four reasons why we shouldn't worry about money. 
First, we shouldn't worry about money because the core of life is the soul, not the body. Verse 23 says, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus is saying that the key thing in life is not things. Think about that. The key thing in life is not things. Jesus isn't just talking about, you know, trinkets or non-essentials. No, he's talking about necessary food and clothing. Even these things are not the key elements in life. The key thing in life is to be rightly, rightly related to God. If your soul is rightly related to God, then he's going to take care of your body. And this is what Jesus says as we go on in this passage. But if you have a well-fed body and a nicely clothed body, but you're alienated from God, you're missing the main thing in life and you will pay an eternal penalty down the road. So in effect, Jesus is saying, if you want to worry, worry about the main things in life, about important matters. Food and clothing should not be our main worthy. Your eternal soul should be your main concern. Now, if someone says, yes, but I'm going to starve to death, Jesus replies, but where will your soul spend eternity? And somebody says, but I'll freeze to death because I don't have proper clothing. Yes, but then you'll be too hot if you're not rightly related to God. Don't worry about money because the core of life concerns the soul, not the body. The second reason we shouldn't worry about money is because God cares for us more than he cares for the ravens whose needs he meets. Now, verse 24 is the only New Testament reference to ravens. And some think that Jesus mentions, mentions them because they were unclean birds so that his argument is, if God cares for these lowliest of scavengers, won't he also meet your needs? When Jesus mentions that the ravens neither sow nor reap nor store up their food, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't labor for the food that we get, uh, that we shouldn't store up provisions. God's word clearly establishes labor as the means by which we take care of our families and ourselves. Rather, he's contrasting the lowly raven with the rich fool in the parable that came that we looked at last week. This man was wrongly focused on storing up plenty for the future but he had foolishly ignored God, and God called him to account. By way of contrast, the raven gets along just fine without any of the rich fool's anxiety about the future because God cares for the ravens. And then Jesus uses understatement as he says, how much more valuable are you than the birds? Human beings are really the apex of God's creation. We're made in his image, in his likeness, isn't it reasonable to assume that if God is going to care for that lowly raven, that he's going to care for us as well, for his people, especially for those who are his own little flock? So the next time you, think, you see a raven, just think about God's care for those birds. You've never seen a starving raven, have you? Even in the middle of a desert, God provides food for them to eat. Well, Banish your worries about money as you realize that God cares more about you than he does about ravens. You can trust him to provide for you. The third reason we should not worry about money is because worry doesn't do any good anyway. How many have done enough worrying and have lived long enough to know that that's true? Yeah. Uh, Jesus points out just the futility of worry. It never changes reality. 
If you worry, the outcome is the same as if you don't worry. Actually, the outcome is worse because worry takes a pretty serious toll on your body. Science has proven that. But Jesus says that worrying won't add any years uh, to your life. He plainly states you can't add any time to your life by worrying about it. Now, researchers at Penn State University, they, had, uh, they did a study and they had their participants write down their specific worries for 10 days. And they were sent a text message four times a day, four times a day to remind them, hey, what about your worries? You know, write them down for us. And uh, the studies, the participants then reviewed their list of worries every night in the evening for the next 30 days to see if any of them came true. Now, the average person reported three to four what they call testable worries. Here's a testable worry. I'm worried I might fail my test tomorrow. Well, tomorrow we'll find out whether that was a valid <laughs> worry or not. But, I, you know, I, I worry about whether I'm saved. That's not testable. So you got testable. But every, every person that participated averaged three to four testable worries a day. Well, what's the result? A whopping 91% of worries were false alarms. They never came about. The, of the remaining 9% of worries that did come true, about one-third turned out better than what they were anticipating, even though what they, the worst they thought was going to happen, it happened, but it wasn't nearly as bad as they thought. Uh, about 25% of the participants, not one single worry in their whole 10 days came to fruition. Here's what one of the study's authors says. Deceit. Deceit is a good word to describe the nature of worry, implicitly demanding that we pay attention to it because the threat is real. In reality, it's nearly, nearly always a false alarm. That's, that's secular science saying, yeah, worry doesn't accomplish much. And Scripture tells us the same as well. Now, it's not wrong to think about things that we can actually do something about to change. But it's useless to consume our thoughts with matters that we can't change. Worry simply isn't productive and it runs counter to faith in God. Now, the fourth reason we shouldn't worry about money is because we should trust in God who cares for us more than he does the flowers of the field. Now, the word lilies there, it probably refers to some kind of wildflower, uh, not to what we think of uh, a lily. Consider the beauty and the delicacy of a wildflower. Not even Solomon in all his glory could match the beauty of a single wildflower. And if God clothes the, clothes the insignificant grass of the field with beautiful flowers, and this is grass that when it dies is going to be bolted up and just thrown into the furnace for fuel, then shouldn't we trust him to provide the clothing that we need? Jesus' rebuke, <laughs> O men of little faith. That hits the heart of our worry, doesn't it? Our little faith in God. Now, it's, just, it's safe to say, is it not, that all worry stems from our lack of faith in God. When we worry, we're doubting that God truly cares for us. Now, keep in mind that Jesus here was addressing the disciples. And yet, we believers who have trusted God with their eternal destiny can easily fall into a state of unbelief when it comes to the immediate problems that we face. Now, that's especially true with regard to just basic provisions. 
We all need to keep in mind Paul's words in Romans 8.32 where he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do you understand the import of that verse? If God has already done the greatest thing imaginable for us in our salvation, He gave us His Son to die for us. If He gave us that, is there anything else that He would not be willing to give us that we need? No, God knows how to take care of His own. Now, the worst thing about worry is, is not that it makes us miserable, but it does. The worst thing about worry is that it dishonors our loving Heavenly Father. Many of the Lord's children live as if the Father in Heaven either isn't concerned about their problems or isn't able to take care of their needs. So Jesus' first point is that to solve our worries about money, we've got to trust in the God who cares for us. Now his second point concerns really a needed shift of focus on our part. Number two, to solve our worries about money, we must seek for God's kingdom above our own needs. Now this section falls into two major sections, two parts. First, Jesus tells us what we should not seek, and then he tells us what we should seek. So first, what we should not seek. We should stop worrying about our basic needs. I know it sounds like I'm beating a, a drum on this thing, but that's, that's exactly what it is. The reason that our worrying, uh, the reason that we shouldn't is that our worrying mimics the world. And God knows that we need these things. Why do we worry about them? When Jesus says not to seek after uh, what you will eat and drink, he doesn't mean that we're not to expend any effort or any energy uh, in working for a living. Rather, he means don't be all consumed with these things. Don't make these things your main aim in life. He's actually talking about where our main focus should be. He commands us, do not keep worrying. And he's using a different word here than he did in verse 22. And it means don't be lifted up. Don't be tossed about as a ship on the seas. In other words, don't be unsettled and insecure. Stop worrying about these things since God will take care of you. Now, Jesus says that when we're consumed with making a living and whatever that looks like, we're actually mimicking the world. The world lives in a constant frenzy of activity to get more and more. And this shouldn't be our focus. Jesus says don't seek for the same things that the nations eagerly seek. There should be a distinct difference between us and the world regarding our pursuit of material gain. Now hard work is a good Christian value, but anxiety about money is not. To get, up, to get caught up with the world's attitudes toward money is to forget that we have a Father who knows that we need all of these things. So what should we seek? Well, we should seek God's kingdom and then he will take care of our basic needs. That's verses 31 through 34. Jesus gives us a command in verse 31 and an assurance in verse 31 and 32, an application in verse 33, and then an explanation in verse 34. First, the command. The command is simple. Seek God's kingdom. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, uh, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What does it mean in practical terms to seek God's kingdom? 
Does it mean that everyone has to become a missionary or a full-time Christian worker? Well, obviously not. God's kingdom is where he rules. To seek his kingdom means to put God first as Lord of everything in our lives and to aim each day at furthering his rule over us and over others as well. Now the day is soon coming when Jesus will return and the, he'll rule the nations with a rod of iron. But until then, we're to live under his lordship in every area of our lives, including our money. And we're to seek to further his rightful rule over the lives of others as they come to faith in Christ and then live under his lordship as well. In other words, God is not just to be a slice of life on Sundays or whenever we find him useful to further our agendas. Rather, he's to be the center of all we think, all we say, and all we do every day. He is Lord over every facet of our lives, including our money. Now, we live as his servants or stewards seeking to serve him, seeking to glorify him. That's what it means to seek his kingdom. The assurance is that the Father will provide for all of our needs if we simply focus on his kingdom. Now, these things refers to the things the nations seek, namely food, clothing, clothing and other material needs. The thought, the thought of not seeking after those things, but rather seeking God's kingdom, that brings anxiety for some, even among God's people. So Jesus says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now, the little flock, that sounds pretty vulnerable, vulnerable in the midst of a dog-eat-dog -dog world, doesn't it? But Jesus wants us to feel assured that none other than the loving, the loving Heavenly Father uh, is watching over us as we are committed to seek His kingdom. Now, the full measure of kingdom blessings, that, that awaits us in the future. We understand that. But even in the difficulties of this evil world, we can trust the Father's abundant mercies that they're on us because of His gracious choice of us. Now, the application is this. Give generously, and you will have lasting treasure in heaven. Now, Jesus doesn't mean that we should literally sell everything that we have and, and, and give it away the proceeds. The Bible implies the right, of, um, of, of right to private ownership of property in the Eighth Commandment. Remember he said, do not steal? Well, you can't steal if you don't own anything. Peter told Ananias that his property was to do with as he saw fit. Ananias' sin was not in holding back some of the proceeds. That would have been fine. His problem was when he lied about it. He said that he gave all of the proceeds to the sale to the disciples, and he had not. Further, if Jesus meant that his followers must sell all their possessions, well, surely he would have rebuked those who owned lands and homes, etc. But he didn't. Rather, Jesus is saying here, have a loose grip on the things of the world since they're not going to last anyway. Instead, be generous in, in giving to those in need, and God, God will reward you with lasting riches in heaven. Now, the contrast is between storing up treasure here on this earth or laying up eternal treasures in heaven. That was a problem with the man last week, right? The rich man, his barns were full. He said, so full, I've got to tear them down and build bigger barns. And then I'll have plenty for the future, and I'll say, soul, uh, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, you fool, tonight your soul is going to be required of you, and who's going to get all that you have prepared? He was storing up on this earth, 
and he was left with nothing. Now, if you struggle with greed and with living for this life only, I have a remedy for it. Give away your stuff. Just give it away. Giving generously frees us from the greed and puts our focus on God in eternity. It's that simple. Don't be griefful. Greedful. Don't be greedy. Give it away. Now, the explanation there in the verse 34 is, your heart follows your treasure. Now, we, we tend to look at this differently sometimes. We say, yeah, uh, we think that uh, where you put your treasure is where your heart is. And that, that is, there's a lot of truth in that. If you love your children, you're going to spend money on your children, right? But the other side of the coin, Jesus says, if you will actually invest in something, your heart will follow. All right? So... Um, what, what, what he means there is to store up treasure in heaven by giving generously to the Lord's kingdom and your heart is going to be drawn to heaven. If you hang on to your earthly possessions and greedily, your heart is going to be on this earth. Now, I've seen this work in regard to prayer. If I give money to a missionary, it's easier to pray for him. Why is that? Because my heart follows my treasure. If my treasure is with a missionary, my heart is there with him too. And it's easier to pray for him. So Jesus' point is, if you want your heart to be in the things of God, put your treasure in the kingdom of God. Now think about this. It's the only investment in this shaky world with a that is guaranteed safety and has a high rate of return. It's a return that pays dividends for all eternity. Now, underlying the Lord's teaching and central to a biblical concept of money is the principle of stewardship. We don't own what we have. God does. He entrusts a certain amount to each of us to use for his purposes. Now, some of it he graciously allows to spend for our own needs, for our own enjoyment. That's fine. But our main focus has to be, Lord, help me use what you have given me to further your kingdom. Stewardship actually frees you from worry. I read a story about how the Coast Guard had to put out a, a rather large fire on Frank Sinatra's boat. Now, the skipper was very nonchalant about the great amount of damage that was done to the boat. And he said, well, it's not my boat. It belongs to Mr. Sinatra. Now, the skipper was rather detached from the loss because he didn't view the boat as his own. Only, I mean, that was his work. That's where he worked, but it was gone. It's okay. It didn't belong to him. So then, when my car gets a ding in the parking lot, <laughs> when, when other things beyond my control happen to my money or my possessions, I say, Lord, it's your car. It's your money. It's your stuff. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about money. Trust in the God who cares for you and seek his kingdom above your needs. Now, when you do that, there's going to be three results. Number one, the Father will be glorified because that's what he's called us to do. Number two, you will have enough here on this earth. He plainly tells us he'll meet our needs if we seek his kingdom first. And number three, you'll have unfailing treasure in heaven. You can be poor here and be vastly rich in eternity. And a lot of it depends on how you use what God has given you here on this earth. It's called stewardship. 
one day we will have to answer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, these are some challenging words for us to, Lord, forsake our, our money, as it were, or at least the pursuit of it. Father, and to understand that we're to use it to, for your honor, for your glory, to uh, move forward your kingdom. And as we do that, you promise to take care of us. God, I pray that you would help us to see that, to understand it. Father, to uh, look at our money that way that it really doesn't belong to us and to start asking God, what would you have me to do with this money that you have given me? Lord, do that and I will give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're sitting out there and you've never come to a point where you have given the Lord your life, you can give all of your money away, give it to feed the poor, give it to church, wherever. But again, that's an external thing. Have you ever given your heart to Christ? Have you ever turned to Him? That's where it all begins. Maybe you, maybe you recognize that you cling to money, and maybe that's because you've never come to grips with a relationship with the Lord. Maybe that's not your reality. It can be, it should be, it needs to be. And you can do that this morning. You can call out to God. In your greed, in your recognized greed, in your selfishness, in all of these things, go to the Lord and say, I'm a sinner. I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. That's Jesus. Call out to Him. Ask Him to be merciful to you, a sinner. He will hear you and He'll make you right with Him today. And that will change your heart on all kind of levels. And one of them is your outlook on money. Now, there's plenty of us in here that have walked long enough with the Lord that maybe we've become a little bit calloused concerning our money. After all, we are in America. And America is about, you know, making money. The American dream. Providing for our kids better than we had. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't get in the way of your pursuit of God. Now, this is where it gets, you know, personal for you. I have no idea what your finances are like. Okay? Um, I'm not, tr not trying to pry at all. I'm saying you know, God knows. You think about what He's providing for you. Are you using it to bring Him honor and glory? Or are you using it selfishly? If you will seek His kingdom first, as a believer, He will provide for all of your needs. You just have to trust Him. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.